celebration, right? I mean, there's something about it that's always a little bit silly. Uh, so I hope that you are uh, experiencing some of that in, in uh, your Christmas season. I feel like we're warmed up right now. Are we warmed up? We still need another warm-up question, maybe? All right, here's your warm-up question. Uh, what are you searching for? In your life, what are you searching for? What's that? Balance. That's an interesting answer. Searching for balance. Faith. Searching for faith. What else? Power. Searching for power. An aspiring third world dictator. What else? Freedom. Miracles. These are all really great answers. These are great answers. Peace. Searching for peace. Uh... Nobody said searching for God. This is church. Somebody get on that. <laughs> searching for purpose in your life, meaning in your life. Anyone? Anyone? I'm always on the search for that. Uh, anybody searching for an escape? If we're really being honest, how many people in the world are just searching for an escape? Just, just to kind of get out of their own uh, mindset, uh, their own experience. Uh, some people are searching for a way to survive. How many people here are searching for nothing? How many are searching for nothing? Which either means that you found everything, uh, in which case, God bless you, you should be preaching, or uh, like a lot of people on earth, you just, you know, you're just not seeking because it does take a, a little bit of energy. Now, those of you who had an answer, I want you to think about your answer for a minute. What are you searching for? And here's the follow-up question. How are you searching for it? How are you searching for it? Day to day, week to week. What, what are you doing to really complete your search, to be successful and fruitful in what you're searching for? I'm gonna give you a few seconds to think about that. Nobody shout out an answer for 30 seconds. How are you searching for the thing that you're searching for? Think about it. How many of you have good answers to that question? Do you know how you're searching for it? For how many of you is that kind of a hard question? How many of you refuse to answer my questions? The veterans. <clears throat> to me, uh, that question, what are you, what are you seeking? What are you, what are you searching for in life? Is sort of one of the definitive questions of human existence. Because I think uh, we are, you know, we're designed to be seekers. We're designed to be searchers. We are designed to be explorers, learners, whatever word you want to choose uh, to suggest it. And, and whether you are seeking, whether you are searching hard after something, methodically, intensely, uh, kind of determines whether or not you're acing life, whether you're finding meaning and fruitfulness in life. Um, what are you looking for? How are you looking for it? And the how question is often what trips people up because we, we often find ourselves with yearning and desire in our hearts and do nothing about it, right? And, and that's the definition of being stuck in life. There are plenty of people out there who are wanting, but far fewer people who are actually searching. 
in life. And if you're not actively searching for something, if you're not on it, if you haven't thought it through, if you haven't shaped your life to be a searcher of the significant thing that you want, then you often find yourself just sort of eh, grabbing onto handles as they float by in life. Oh, this looks kind of interesting. Oh, this feels kind of fun. Oh, that's vaguely satisfying. And then your life gets a little you know, a little chaotic, maybe a little up and down. Maybe it looks like a group of people trying to keep five beach balls in the air simultaneously. It has that feel to it. It's a little fun, can be a little exciting, but yeah, it doesn't really get you anywhere uh, in the end. Uh, it's, it's a game and, and not a, a journey. Uh, so I think one of the great Christmas questions is, are you seeking? Are you searching? Um, I mean, like, like, really searching in life. Are you on a journey somewhere? Do you feel like you're on a journey somewhere? Or do you feel like you're just walking through life and kind of eh, seeing what you encounter along the way? Which type of, of person are you? At Christmas time, um, one of the great blessings of the Christmas season is that people all over the world will be welcoming to the Spirit of God. They will be welcoming to Jesus. You know, if not the person of Jesus, at least the idea of Jesus. People will be receptive. But that's a lot, a lot different than being a searcher. I mean, there's a difference between merely welcoming and seeking uh, in life. Uh, I learned the value of seeking. I learned the value of searching uh, from, from God himself, I, I think. Um, because, uh, tell me if, you, if you've noticed this, God doesn't go out of his way to make things obvious. Anybody? Have you noticed this about God? For instance, he doesn't appear in the sky, snap his fingers, create bunches of rainbows all the time and say, hey, I exist, I have some advice for you. That's not, that's not typically the way that he does it. And he doesn't always make uh, the victories in my life obvious and easy. Anybody notice that? Those of you who have been following after God for years and years, is your path always obvious? Shout yes if it is. I got one contrarian, that's good. Um, since God could do the universe any way he wants to do the universe, I'm compelled to ask why God doesn't make things obvious. Why doesn't he make himself obvious? Why doesn't he make, you know, life obvious? because it's clear to me that, that he does not. Um, but he does something, you know? He, he's not a do-nothing God. It's just that he's not an obvious God. And, and this is the time of year in which we celebrate Jesus coming to earth. And, and the Father sent Jesus in a way that on the one hand was completely predicted, right? We actually went through that early in this sermon series. We're doing an Advent candle sermon series. The candles typically represent different things in the Advent season. We had the prophet's candle, and the prophets represent hope. They predicted Jesus centuries before he came with, with eerie accuracy, right? So anybody who was paying attention to the scriptures should have not been surprised when, when Jesus showed up. Uh, there's the angel's candle. They announced when he came up. There's a shepherd's candle. They celebrated and were on and gave testimony when Jesus showed up. But the fact was, Jesus was born as a baby. God came to earth as a baby, vulnerable and hidden in, in a food dish in a shed in somebody's, you know, yard in Palestine, which was, you know, like, like the Savior being born 
in a shed in the bayou of Louisiana, somewhere hidden out there where nobody knows uh, to see him. So on, on the one hand, totally predicted for centuries in advance. On the other hand, completely hidden from the world in a way and in a place that nobody could have possibly detected unless what? Unless you were really, really searching. Unless you were totally on it. And there's something about that that I think typifies the nature of God and the nature of, of life. Jesus was called a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Greeks. There's something about the Jesus story. While it is celebrated around the world, there's no greatest greater story on earth. Everybody loves the Jesus story, but it's also kind of offensive and, and crazy. You know, there are, are plenty of people that in their spirit, if not in their mind, say, well, that's just a little too weird, you know, to, to be true. I mean, it's just, you know, as uh, I mentioned earlier, as one famous comedian said uh, recently, uh, the Christmas story is just an example of a teenage girl who got knocked up and stuck with her story. Um, you know, it's, it's a weird story. So you have to really search through it, I think, to realize just how amazing the story of Christ actually is. And, you know, and then there's the fact that God came in a package that needed to be cared for and nurtured. God didn't come to the earth as you would expect the Creator to come to the earth with great fanfare, with great power and majesty, fireworks. He came as a baby that needed to be nurtured. God came in such a way that if He were not immediately cared for, He would die, which is just kind of amazing and mind-blowing, and that's not something that anybody would have seen coming unless you were really, really searching for it, unless you were really, really on it. And I think this is a big metaphor for how God works in our lives. God comes into your life. God, God is there. God is there to be found. That's true. But when He enters your life, if you don't care for Him, if you don't nurture the faith to receive Him in your life, it, it will die. God always comes to us in a way that is suspiciously vulnerable, that is curiously small. Unless you're on it, unless you're seeking, unless you're on top of things. And then, of course, the kingdom grows into something that takes over your life and takes you to places and leads you on adventures that you would have never seen coming. Oh, the great Christian story is a creator God who made himself vulnerable. Um, paradoxical. As if to say, I'm the Lord, but I won't lord it over you. I'm all-powerful, but I submit myself to you. Please take care of me gently. It's just fascinating. It's just fascinating. And every year at Christmas, it, it blows my mind. Everybody, have your mind blown on three. One, two, three. Somebody over here sounded like they were in pain. All right, let's read a Christmas story from Matthew chapter 2. Um, the candles are the prophet's candle, the angel's candle, the shepherd's candle. What's the fourth candle? The magi's candle. Uh, and this is the story of the magi, who are my favorite characters uh, in the whole Christmas story. I, mean, I guess Jesus is my favorite character, but, my, but the magi, uh, they're, they're, they're pretty close. And the magi story goes like this. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Magi from the east, uh, sometimes the Magi is translated wise men. Um, 
These guys uh, from the east of Israel, they're probably from the area of Persia, what would now be something like Iran, or maybe a little further south in Arabia. Uh, they were obviously astrologers because they were looking at the sky to look for signs. So they would have been pagan wise men, and yet somehow they've ended up in Jerusalem looking for the Messiah that they figured out was born. So the story starts with this fascinating mystery. Who are these guys and what do they know? When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. So the whole city noticed that these wise men, these magi arrived, which probably indicates that there were not three wise men. There were probably a whole troop of them. The only reason traditionally we say three wise men is because eventually they gave three gifts, frankincense, gold, and myrrh. But this was probably like a a whole dispatch of court officials from some kingdom in the east. The whole city is like, man, what's going on? What do these guys know? Why did they come? And we had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, those who were expert in the scriptures. He asked them where the Messiah was to be born. Well, in Bethlehem and Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. In the book of Micah. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. Suddenly King Herod has become an astrologer. Suddenly he's checking the skies too. He's like, uh, when do you think this fellow was born? And he sent them to Bethlehem, where the Messiah was supposed to be born, and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go worship him. Well, this should have been a clue to the wise men right off the top, that this guy Herod perhaps did not know what he was talking about, since he was not on the search as they were. After that, <clears throat> after they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it, rose ahead of the, <clears throat> when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. We don't know if the, the strange star reemerged in the sky. Some people theorize it was a comet that was kind of circling, and it reappeared in the sky, as comets do on orbits right at that time, and led them uh, to find uh, a Christ, because he wasn't in the shed anymore at that point. You know, time had passed. <clears throat> but they got another heavenly sign, and they followed it. <clears throat> and it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, um, again, not the manger anymore, but the house where the family was staying, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. They opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, more heavenly guidance, God gave them a dream. They returned to their country by another route, foiling Herod's plan. Um, ultimately, what Herod tries to do is kill the Messiah. He ends up killing a lot of little children in that area of the world. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt, a trip that saved Jesus' life. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to church for the search for this child to kill him. Herod himself is on a sort of church, uh, search. 
uh, I find the Magi fascinating because they just sort of show up in the story and we know very little about them except they came from the East and in some way they had been tracking. In some fashion they knew that uh, a special baby, a future ruler, a great ruler, a global leader was to be born in Israel in the area of Palestine at about this time. And how did they figure that out? This is something in the story that makes me go, hmm. And every time you read a Bible passage, you should ask yourself, what makes you go? Yeah, figure out what bugs you. And this really bugs me. And many of you veterans have heard me preach on this before. Um, Israel, uh, in centuries previous, had been sent into exile kicked out of their land. They had only uh, fairly recently come back and, and resettled Jerusalem and Israel in the area. During the time of their exile, they had, they had spent some time in the, in the, in the area of, of Persia, where it started as Babylon and, and became the Persian Empire eventually. One very famous prophet named Daniel served in the courts of Persia and the courts of Babylon during that time. And Daniel was famous among the old Jewish prophets for making predictions about the coming of Messiah, about the birth of Christ. Uh, and Daniel became a very prominent, famous court official, and his writings would have been saved in, in, in the libraries of Babylon, in the libraries of Persia, because he was so respected. The Babylonians and the Persians were both great at making libraries and keeping records. And in Daniel chapter 9, the ninth chapter of the book that Daniel wrote, he gave a very famous prophecy called the prophecy of the, of the 69 weeks or the 69 sevens. Uh, it goes like this. No one understand this. From the time the word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler comes, until the Messiah comes, there will be seven sevens and 62 sevens. In other words, 69 units of seven. It will be rebuilt with streets and a trench, but in times of trouble. After the 62 sevens, so after the last bit uh, are done, the anointed one will be put to death. That was the prediction Daniel made. The people of the ruler who will come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. So the Messiah will be killed and then the city will be laid waste. The end will come like a flood. War will continue until the end and desolations have been decreed. It's a fascinating prophecy because it was given, you know, five or six hundred years before Jesus lived. And it predicts in a mathematical formula the time of the coming of the anointed one. But you have to, you have to do the math. How many of you love math? Four of us. Well, have you got any math teachers here? You got a ministry. You got a ministry. So a total of 69 sevens will pass between the issuing of the decree to rebuild Jerusalem after the exile until the anointed one, the Messiah, is recognized, is the prophecy. Um, and and the, the Magi would have known this prophecy. Well, we know from historical fact, from history, that the Persian king issued a decree to rebuild Jerusalem following the Jewish exile in 445 BC. We actually know the specific day, March 15th, 445 BC, because the Persians are great at keeping records. Uh, well, March 15th, 445 BC, plus 69 sevens, 69 times sevens, seven is 483, and let's say that's 483 years. 
So March 15, 445 BC plus 483 years gets us 173,880 days because the Jewish year was 360 days, not 365. I know you're following along my math, so you wanted to know that. We throw in 119 extra days because of leap years during that time as we translate to the Julian calendar. Anyway, you do the math, and it turns out that Daniel prophesied that the Messiah would be established in 32 AD, what we now know to be 32 AD. Um, this is really interesting. Who lived in the early decades AD that you know of? Jesus. Uh, so pretty uh, specific uh, prophecy that there would be somebody uh, walking around the capital of Israel, the Jerusalem, because it would be restored in 32 uh, AD. That's when the anointed one would be recognized, would be established. When was Jesus recognized as the Messiah? And so far as he ever was in his life, what, when, when was it? You guys have heard this before. Probably the triumphal entry, right? So when Jesus entered Jerusalem, and we celebrate that as the triumphal entry, it happens in the week of Passover. Well, in 32 AD, it so happens that the week of Passover fell uh, in, uh, in April, the first week of April, 32 AD, which is exactly when Daniel's prediction said the Messiah should have come to Jerusalem. He got it down to the very week that Jesus probably entered uh, Jerusalem. Okay, so that's creepy, right? That's creepy good. Like almost six centuries before Jesus came, this guy Daniel predicted that there would be a great ruler walking into Jerusalem in the first week of April in 32 uh, AD. And we happen to know that Jesus was around right then and there during that time. And then the prophecy ends by saying the anointed one will be put to death right afterwards and Jerusalem will be destroyed. Well, what happened after Jesus' triumphal entry? What happened the week after that? Well, he was put to death on the day that we call Good Friday. And then very shortly after that, the Romans sacked the city of Jerusalem and tore it apart and tore down the temple exactly as Daniel predicted would be done. Daniel predicted this again 600 years before any of it happened. And in my opinion, if you are not a believer today, if you don't believe in scripture, that prediction in and of itself should give you great pause because that's crazy good. That's crazy good. My math notwithstanding, I don't know if you follow that or not, but you could, you could do the math yourself. You could go online and find this passage explained carefully by lots of people. So what happened, like the Magi in Persia, they, they knew of this prophecy because they revered this guy Daniel. And, you know, what, what astrologers do in Persia, they were probably what we would call Zoroastrians. They're people that looked for signs in the heavens and respected the elements a lot. Well, they saw this rare heavenly phenomenon. I don't know if it was a supernova. I don't know if it was a star that God just put in the sky. I don't know if it was a comet. But they saw something strange in the heavens because that's what they did. They looked to the heavens every night. And then they asked themselves, well, what does that strange sign mean? What could it mean, guys? And then somebody said, wait, wasn't there a prophecy from that great guy, Daniel? And they read through the prophecy and they thought, wow, you know, this prophecy says that about 30 years from now, the Messiah will be crowned in Jerusalem. I bet this is telling us that the Messiah has come. Maybe he's been born. Let's go check this out. I think that's the story of the Magi. And so they go on a journey. It would have taken them months to get from 
where they were uh, to uh, Jerusalem where Herod was, and they showed up and they figured that everybody would have tracked it as well. But it turns out that nobody in Jerusalem was searching. They weren't searching the heavens the way that, um, that the Magi were. And so they asked Herod, and you get the rest of, of the story. This story could not have been faked by the followers of Jesus because, you know, the Daniel prophecy and all that happened centuries before Jesus was born, you know. Um, but the Magi followed it. Um, Herod uh, also goes on a search, but while the Magi's search was uh, search and celebrate, search and find, search and give, uh, Herod said Herod's search was a search and destroy mission. He had a very interesting mindset, Herod did, because think about it for a second. Herod sets out to kill the Messiah. We know the rest of that story. Um, he killed all the little babies in the region in order to eradicate the Messiah because Herod felt like the Messiah was a threat to his own power, was a threat to his own kingship. But appreciate the mindset that Herod had. These magi show up. He consults the scripture expert. He believes that the prophecy is true because he dispatches people to go spy out the Messiah's location so the Messiah can be killed. This is Herod. Herod believes, but he decides to oppose the purposes of God. You get that a lot uh, in, in, in the world. The problem with the human race is not that we fail to believe in God. The problem with the human race is that we fail to submit to God. Which I think is probably why God does things the way that he does. Why he makes his work not obvious. Because it means that the people who find him are the people that want to find him. The people that really search. The people that are constantly watching heaven to see if the Lord would guide them. It's not the people that want to destroy the purposes of God. They're not humble enough. They're not inclined enough to pull it off. You following me? Anyway, I think the Magi are the great heroes of the Christmas story uh, because they were the sort of people who were ready to go with whatever they could find out about what God was doing. And I want to be that sort of person. On the mere possibility that this strange heavenly apparition they saw uh, indicated that God was up to something great, the Magi disrupted their lives immediately. They went on a months-long journey that, that would have been risky for them but what I want you to notice about the Magi uh, is this. They weren't just searchers. Once they got started on their search, they became followers because they started following the signs and the clues that God left for them. First, it was a sign in the heavens, but soon thereafter, it was a supernatural dream from God. And, and that's the way it is. Honest seekers always become, always receive supernatural guidance in life. Seekers always become followers if they're seeking honestly, if they really want to seek and accept rather than seek and, and destroy. Every, uh, every Christmas since I was little, I think I've instinctively done something to search for Jesus. You know, it's kind of like that, the candles of, of the Advent. 
for me, uh, it always started with, with hope, like, oh, I hope this Christmas is really good, you know? And when I was a very young believer, I thought, well, I hope, I hope this Christmas has a lot of God in it. I remember thinking that even when I was small. And then my Christmas, you know, would move through celebration as with the angels and, and the shepherds. Uh, I always try to find God in the midst of the festivities. Um, I was woken up uh, a couple nights ago in the middle of the night by a dream, and I found myself wandering the living room and kind of sitting by the Christmas tree that, that we have there. And I remember doing that when I was a kid, sitting by the Christmas tree in the middle of the night when no one else was awake. And, uh, and just wondering, you know, just wondering how God might show up if he was in it, what was going on. You know, that was kind of a childlike awe, I think, that I was practicing. Um, and at some point or another, uh, that sort of activity, activity always reduced to me trying to get guidance from God during Christmas. You know, my Christmas prayers were always, uh, Lord, you know, how can I be a blessing to others during this time? You know, how might I gather my family well and insert you into the midst of their celebrations? So a lot of people in my family are not believers. Um, and I still do that today. There's always this bit where I have to nurture and protect God in my heart, God in my home at Christmas because he is a vulnerable little baby. I'm supposed to be a priest of sorts now, uh, as I am in my 50s. I'm supposed to be a Christian leader. I'm supposed to be a Christian authority, right? Respected by all. But the truth is, uh, oh, thank you. Yeah, you're, so, you're too kind. I didn't have to fish for that at all. <laughs> but the truth is, I'm still very much a, a seeker. Um, I'm really seeking Jesus hard, actually, during this Christmas. I think it might be a stage of life thing, you know, some degree, uh, as I get older. Uh, I'm really trying to find him in new, special, and powerful ways. You know how uh, in my sermons you always hear about, uh, you always hear little tidbits about cosmological physics and stuff like that, you know, because I'm such a science geek and I'm always talking about new things that theoretical physicists have found out about the universe and how it works. And I think what that is, is that's me searching the heavens for a sign. You know, a little bit like the Magi used to do. It's like, maybe there's something out there, you know, that I can discover that will really guide me further into this crazy search, this crazy journey that I'm on. I think that's why I'm so into it. Uh, you know how at Blue Water Services, at the end, we're always having like prophetically gifted people come up and give words, and we're trying really hard as a congregation to hear the supernatural voice of God in real time in the here and now? You know how that happens? We're always having prophetic artists just kind of paint under the influence of the Spirit during our services. You know what we're doing there? Uh, I think we're listening as an ohana for supernatural guidance. Just like, you know, the Magi listen to God's guidance in their dream, ultimately. You know, that's the behavior of searchers. It's kind of what we do. People who are really searching and not just sitting around, actively searching. Um, 
This year, this coming year, I'll sermonize a, a fair bit about the forces of culture. You know, I'm a trained social scientist. That's what I got my PhD in. And I'm always thinking about how culture is influencing us and how society is pressing upon us. Because as wise men have always learned, there's always a force in the world that is seeking to destroy Christ, as Herod did in the Magi's story. And if you are a wise person, you understand that there are worldly forces seeking to destroy the works of God to protect themselves in some way for some reason. In some ways, the story of seeking is, has never changed. It's the same today as it was for the Magi back then. It's another reason I think the Magi are the heroes of the Christmas story. They typify for me my own experience. They teach me things of which I need to be mindful. There's a force out there seeking to rob you of your faith. But there are signs in the heaven and there's always supernatural guidance from God in real time if you incline your heart to be a seeker of the Christ. If you don't, you might miss it, like pretty much everybody in the world missed the birth of Christ. But if you're a real seeker, if you're a real searcher, I mean like, if you know what you're looking for and have decided how you're looking for it, like the Magi did, you'll always catch what God is up to. Oh, it might not be obvious at first, right? You might have to go on an Ill, inelegant and risky journey, but you'll always catch the signs. That's what the Christmas story says. It's my favorite part of the Christmas story. The Christmas story is for seekers, you know, for searchers. God is a little bit coy about how he does things. It provokes in us the search. And every searcher needs to have faith. God doesn't want us to believe in him. God wants us to trust him. And you have to trust God to risk the search. You have to trust God to, to press in. So uh, I would ask you uh, this Christmas, on this, our Christmas Sunday celebration, how are you seeking uh, Jesus this week? Not just how you're hoping for him, not just how you're celebrating, not just how you're revering him, but how are you seeking after the things of God as a true magi would seek? Because I think we're supposed to be a kingdom of, of seekers. And I hope that you have the seeking spirit. Here's a bold statement. I'll end with this. A bold statement because I am wearing red. Here's a bold statement to you, brothers and sisters. God has given you a sign. God has given you a clue about how to proceed in your life. How many of you have questions before the Lord? How many of you have things from the Lord you'd like to see Him deliver? How many of you would like to advance with God in your life? This is church. I'm supposed to get like this uproarious amen. Anybody? Well, my bold statement is, He's given you a sign. He's given you a sign. He, he probably hasn't given you a road map. He probably hasn't given you a totally obvious answer. But I can virtually guarantee he's given you signs. He's given you clues. It might be a sign in the heavens. It might be a sign in cosmological physics. I don't know. It might be a dream. It might be a prophetic word that you get at Blue Water Mission. 
in Sunday service or in your Ohana groups. God has given you signs about how to proceed. How can I say that with such confidence? Because God has always done it that way. In the centuries before Christ came, in the Christmas story itself, this sort of thing is hard-coded into the experience of humanity. God gives us signs for the journey. The only question is, are you willing to journey, and are you willing to really seek the signs? That's the only issue. And I think that's worth celebrating. God has given you a sign. Do you believe it's true? Have you looked for it? Have you searched the skies, so to speak? Because if you do, that makes you, that makes you wise. That makes you magi. That's where we get the word magical. That makes you a magical person. That makes you supernatural, mysterious, transcendent on the earth. What do you think? Good deal? Uh, there, the magi are in the story uh, for a reason. God has unfolded this thing uh, the way he did for a reason. And God is unfolding your life the way he's unfolding it for a reason. And I bless you in Jesus' name to be searchers, to be seekers, because every great adventure starts that way. Yeah? Let's pray. Lord, I think life is just filled with heavenly signs. I think life is just filled with dreams from God. I think life is filled with messages from the prophets. And I stand on that in Jesus' name. And it is how I will live my life. Journeying from one sign to another. Caring for the vulnerable things of God as I find them. And being a testimony to the earth. I charge you, brothers and sisters, to live the exact same way. It's the heritage of the Christmas story. And for all of those who have hoped in Christ. I bless your hearts this Christmas season uh, to be seekers and finders in Jesus' name.